in three, in two, and one. Hi there, everybody. Tim Anderson here, the appraiser's advocate, and we're talking real estate appraisal. Today's topic, USPAP's useless cost approach. Are the analytics of the cost approach an invaluable tool for the formation of a credible value opinion and a non-misleading report, or is it just a useless appendage to the appraisal process? In this podcast, we're going to talk about the connections between Standard Rule 1-3, especially the comment to Standard Rule 1-3b, highest and best use, the cost approach, and market value. Such a connection indeed exists. Nevertheless, appraising a parcel of residential real estate and then reporting that appraisal non-misleadingly is a complex proposition. As a result, appraisers tend to worry about the processes of the cost approach rather than the logic, reasoning, and market support that must support those processes. They also tend to ignore the cost approach's centrality to the highest and best use decisions. Understanding this relationship can also aid the appraiser in avoiding bias. This podcast is to help you, the appraiser, confront this confusion and then end it. Standard Rule 1-3 is USPAP's market analysis and highest and best use standards rule. It makes clear that when credible assignment results are necessary to develop a market value opinion, the appraiser must engage in five separate analyses, but which are to a great extent interrelated with each other. These five are in this podcast by reference. Once USPAP has finished delineating these five, it then makes an important comment about the need for the appraiser to engage in these five separate analyses. This comment is that an appraiser, quote, must avoid making an unsupported assumption or premise about market area trends, effective age, and remaining economic life to comply with Standard Rule 1-3a. Then, once the appraiser has engaged in these five analyses, as well as avoided making unsupported assumptions to support them, then the appraiser is to develop an opinion of the highest and best use of the real estate, This order of logic is instructive. The appraiser must engage in these five separate analyses, all the while avoiding unsupported assumptions to develop an opinion of highest and best use. Thus, the opinion of highest and best use results or flows from those five analyses and the avoidance of unsupported assumptions. Then, these analyses lead the appraiser into the value opinion. Consider the comment to Standard Rule 1-3b. This is what it says, quote, An appraiser must analyze the relevant legal, physical, and economic factors to the extent necessary to support the appraiser's highest and best use conclusions. Notice the order of this comment's components. It comes from SR1-3B, therefore it follows SR1-3A. That sequence is there for a purpose. The purpose is to show that the discussion of the analyses of a property's relevant legal, physical, and economic factors is not something to pull out of the air. 
Rather, these characteristics are what Standard Rule 1-3A requires the appraiser to discover and then analyze before making a highest and best use conclusion. Then, as part of the appraiser's scope of work, the appraiser explains in the report how and why she made these decisions and reached these conclusions. Therefore, it should be but a simple step to analyze the relevant legal, physical, and economic factors for both the subject and the comparables. It should be but simple, since this is what the appraiser did in complying with Standard Rule 1-3A. Consider that, quote, existing land use regulations, unquote, and, quote, reasonably probable modifications to such land use regulations, unquote, are legal factors. Quote, reasonably probable modifications of such land use regulations, unquote, is also a physical factor, as is, quote, the physical adaptability of the real estate, unquote. Finally, the economic factors are, quote, economic supply and demand, unquote, and, quote, market area trends, unquote. Please understand that all these components are equally important. In other words, if there is no demand for a specific land use, why supply that land use to a market that neither wants it nor needs it? Thus, a legal use and a physically possible use are both irrelevant if it's not financially feasible to use the land in that manner. And if the use of a property is not feasible, it has no value under that use. From this, it's clear the five components of SR 1-3A indeed are those relevant legal, physical, and economic factors the appraiser must analyze to the extent necessary to support the appraiser's opinion of highest and best use. This means the appraiser no longer needs to worry what USPAP refers to when it talks about the relevant legal, physical, and economic factors. These factors specifically refer to the five components of market analysis and highest and best use in Standard Rule 1-3A. To understand these components, as well as how to analyze them, are basic components of competency in a real estate appraisal. Indeed, the competency rule makes it clear the appraiser must determine if she's competent to accept the assignment before agreeing to take it. Part of this pre-agreement requirement is that the appraiser already understand the five components of highest and best use as USPAP holds them. Understanding these requirements at the proper level is part of competency. Executing the analytical requirements of these components is part of scope of work. USPAP's scope of work definition is, quote, the type and extent of research and analyses in an appraisal assignment, unquote. This research, these analyses, are what the appraiser must summarize in the scope of work statement in the appraisal report. The inclusion of mere boilerplate that the appraiser turned on the faucet in the kitchen, flushed the toilets to conclude they work, and turned on and off some lights is not, by definition, a summary of the, quote, type and extent of research and analyses in an appraisal assignment, unquote. Again, these are not research and analyses which are primarily mental in nature. These actions are merely mechanical in nature and, frankly, should be left to trainees and contractors. 
To engage in the analytics inherent in the cost approach, or in any approach for that matter, is an integral part of an appraiser's scope of work. This is because this approach shows the appraiser the subject site's value as if it were vacant and available to be put to its highest and best use. An estimate of accrued depreciation, one indication of the GLA adjustment, and the subject's effective age. Further, and more importantly, it serves as a check on the reasonableness of the value conclusion via the sales comparison approach. How so? Both the cost approach and the sales comparison approach analyze the same two components of value. The first is the value of the underlying site as if it were vacant and available to be put to its highest and best use. And the second is the contributory value of the horizontal and vertical improvements to the site. Therefore, the value opinions from these two approaches should be remarkably close to each other, again, because they measure the same things. If there is a gap between these two indications of value of more than approximately plus or minus 2%, that gap merits analysis and explanation within the report. Why? That gap likely indicates a math error, a component cost too high or too low, or an undiscovered depreciation factor. In addition, the analytics of the cost approach can show the appraiser quite clearly the highest and best use of the property as improved. This process is straightforward. Simply subtract from the value conclusion via the sales comparison approach the value of the site as if it were vacant and available to be put to its highest and best use. If the result of this math is a positive number, then the improvements add value to the site, thus, with incredibly rare exceptions, the improvements are the highest and best use of the site as improved. If the result is a negative number, then the improvements contribute negatively to the value of the vacant site. Thus, the appraiser has another decision to make. In other words, is it time to raise the improvements, renovate the improvements, repair the improvements, or what? In the typical day-to-day -day appraisal assignment, however, this number will be positive. To sum up then, the cost approach is not merely a useless appendage to real estate appraisal's body of knowledge. This is true because the analytics of the cost approach apply to the appraisal of any residence. Because the cost approach deconstructs the value conclusion via the sales comparison approach, it is not only an essential analytical tool, but it is also a market-based check on the value conclusion from that approach. Its analytics aid the appraiser in concluding highest and best use, thus aid the appraiser in concluding a credible market value opinion. A market value opinion that's credible, Accurate, reliable, and reproducible is a market value opinion that will go a long way towards sheltering an appraiser from charges of bias in the formation of that conclusion. For these reasons alone, the cost approach is an indispensable analytical tool toward the formation of a credible value conclusion communicated in a non-misleading report. Thanks for being with me here today. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to meet with you in these podcasts. 
If I can ever be of any service to you, contact me. My email is tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It'll be an honor to know you and a pleasure to work with you. Until the next time, please let me extend my best to you and your family. And as I end all of my podcasts, I ask you a question. Are your professional fees professional enough? And we're clear.